Happy Monday, fellow podcast listeners. You know, it was interesting. After we had finished our podcast yesterday, and we were getting ready to get ready for today's podcast by looking up news, we noticed that there was a lot of news going around about China and how China was having a lot of protests happening in the country. And we didn't think much about it last night. We just think, okay, well, maybe this will be something we'll be able to talk about in today's podcast. Ironically, we will be because that's what Wall Street's talking about right now is the effects of China. But there is other news too, along with China that we have to cover today in today's podcast. First thing we're going to talk about is Nightscope. Nightscope continues to grow and yet Wall Street continues to ignore the company. And what did Nightscope do today that is making us a little more intrigued by Nightscope going forward? There is also news too from Bob Iger. Bob Iger just met with the employees at Disney and he has made some announcements that is good for any investor in Disney should know going forward since Bob Iger has taken the reins again for the company as CEO. Then we got the protest news in China that we had just mentioned and we want to be able to cover that because there's an effect too that what's happening in China will affect Apple stock. And that's another article we'll talk about later in today's podcast has to do with Apple. And finally, the last thing we'll talk about in today's podcast is the potential rail strike that is coming in the United States. I don't know if it's going to fully come, but it is something we will talk about because there is one sector of the economy which is going to be affected by this. And we'll get into a little bit of that later in today's podcast. With that being said, I have to remind you all that I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. And everything I talk about in this podcast is for information purposes only. You need to do your own research before investing as you're not guaranteed to make money when you invest in the stock market. Please also note that I am not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form, and everything I talk about in this podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Please go talk to your financial advisor as they'd understand your financial situation a lot better than I would. I legally cannot give you financial advice, and small disclosure, I do have long and long-term and short positions in Nightscope, in Disney, and in Apple stock today when we talk about those companies in today's podcast. So with that being said, let's begin today's podcast. Transit system client upgrades 97 emergency call boxes with Nightscope. It's K1 technology. From Business Wire, Mountain View, California. Nightscope, a leading developer of autonomous security robots, today announced that its existing transit client in California signed a contract to upgrade 97 of its parking lot emergency call boxes with Nightscope's K1 retrofit kits. In 2022, the client averaged approximately 136,000 weekday passengers. Nightscope's K1 emergency blue light communication devices served to deter potential negative activities using cellular and satellite communications with solar power to passengers for additional safety in remote locations. The newer, more advanced wireless systems will save the client money on both infrastructure and hardware costs while improving the reliability on modern communication network. Okay. So, so... So this is kind of big news for Nightscope. It's not their actual robot that they're selling. It's the blue lights, it sounds like, at the end of the day. I mean, it could be wrong. The image is throwing me off a little bit on what they're showing. But it is the K1 technology that they're using. And they just sold a contract for 97 of them. This is the biggest contract to date on Nightscope. I know every time there's an announcement, I say this is the next biggest contract and all that stuff. But in reality, this is a big contract for Nightscope. 97 more machines in network. The biggest one up to this point, I believe, was 44. And then today when they announced 97, they just almost pretty much doubled their highest contract that they had with 97 now, okay? It's interesting. Nightscope continues to grow. They keep selling contracts. Their backlog's getting bigger. And it can be concerning with a big backlog because it means they won't be able to potentially meet all those sales. But it's extremely fascinating to see how this company continues to grow. And Wall Street continues to ignore the company. 
Okay. And that's what I find interesting. I mean, when the announcement came for this, their stock rose about 4%. This is not financial advice, obviously, but it did rise. And now Wall Street continues to ignore the company. I really want to know because within the next couple of days, there's two events that are going to happen with Nightscope. One, sometime before the end of this year or the start of next year, Nightscope is going to finally announce, hopefully, that they are now legally able to sell to the federal government the Nightscope contracts for their K1, no, not K1, their K5 robots, I believe it is, that they're trying to sell to the federal government. Well, how's Wall Street going to react to that news? And the second big news, too, is they're about ready to report what the financial impact is when they had bought out case emergency systems. Remember, last quarter when they reported their numbers, they had a few numbers on case emergency systems on what their backlog of orders was going to be with case, but they didn't mention the financial impact that case emergency systems had for the year and for the quarter because they kind of bought case at like halfway mark of the quarter when they did. And so their first official quarter where they will have case in their system officially is, I believe it's second quarter of next year. So after March, I think. So it's going to be really fascinating to see how this company keeps growing. And I just want to know at the end of the day, if Wall Street's going to keep ignoring Nightscope, but they keep selling contracts. And how you look at it is uh, another story, but I think a backlog is a good thing. I mean, Boeing has a backlog, but they also can't make their planes fast enough. But Nightscope having a backlog, I think right now is a young company. I think it's an okay thing. It is a little worrisome if they don't get the products out fast, but I mean, they have the facilities now, so hopefully they can be able to keep producing what's needed in order to get the products out there faster. So, but Wall Street continues to ignore Nightscope. And that's what I find fascinating is they keep selling these contracts and Nightscope's not moving. Wall Street's not even paying attention. There are bigger names getting in the company finally. And like I said, this isn't financial advice, but it is extremely fascinating to see how Wall Street is really asleep on the company right now. And there's potentially a lot of growth behind it. At least I believe so. Like I said, not financial advice, but it's just extremely fascinating to see how Wall Street takes this news sometimes. Continuing on with the news from CNBC, Disney's hiring freeze will stay in place. CEO Bob Iger tells employees from CNBC, Disney chief executive officer Bob Iger said during his first town hall since returning to the company that he won't remove the company's hiring freeze and that he will re reassess its cost structure. Iger kicked off the town hall Monday, quoting from the song, What I Miss from Lynn Manuel Mitterrand's musical Hamilton and says, there is no more status quo, but the sun comes up and the world still spins. After about five minutes of introduction, Iger jumped into taking questions, including many from an in-person audience. Disney employees could submit both named and anonymous questions before the event began. Iger acknowledged Disney focus must shift towards making its streaming business profitable rather than concentrating on simple adding subscribers, which was the company's priority when he gave up the CEO job in 2020. He noted Disney won't be pursuing any major acquisitions in the near future, adding he's comfortable with Disney's current set of assets. Iger shocked the business world by returning to the CEO job after reportedly saying he wouldn't come back. He replaced his hand-picked successor, Bob Chapek, whose nearly three-year run as CEO ended abruptly after a dismal fiscal fourth quarter earnings report that prompted several senior executives to tell board members they had lost confidence in his leadership. In a moment last week, Iger said one of his first actions will be to redo Disney's organizational structure which was changed by Chapek to centralize decision-making over content and, distrib and dis distribution under Karen Daniel. Iger has already fired Daniel and said at the town hall that new structures will take time to put in place. 
and will be done in conjunction with other executives, including Chairman General Entertainment Con- Content Dan and Walden, Disney Studios Head Alan Bergman, ESPN President Jimmy Pitar- Pitaro, I think it is, and CFO Christine McCarthy. You know, Bob Iger, welcome back to Disney. I still believe Disney has a long, long road ahead of it in order to be a dominant force in the making. I also believe, too, that Disney has a long road in front of it where they're probably going to be spending some time in Washington a little bit, in all honestly, because they're going to have to answer some questions. And we've talked about those in past podcasts. If you want to listen to anything about Disney in the past, I'd highly advise listening to our past podcast. I mean, they had the Florida incident. They had the, what was it? The, the, the streaming service issues. They've had the having to cut back on costs. Prices had to be... Re- be raised at Disneyland. The list goes on and on. Oh, and then obviously the Buzz Lightyear movie kind of flopped. Disney has a lot of issues on hand, but in time, they probably will turn things around. What I'm more curious about is this. Bob Iger right now says that he's fine with the current assets that they have. Okay, fine. That's fine, Bob Iger. You mostly bought most of those assets during your time. But I don't see him keeping that promise 100% why, and here's why. I think... Bob Iger is going to make another move soon. That's going to cause Disney stock to potentially become more valuable. Not right now, obviously. Probably sometime in this near-term future or maybe later. But the only reason I say that is Bob Iger is going to figure out that there's something out there that can help Disney grow. I mean, there's only so many theme parks you can build and only so much you can raise ticket prices before people are going to say no. Their streaming service is going to be continue to be a big thing, in my opinion. They're probably going to win the streaming war when it's all said and done, just based off the content they currently have. But at the same time, they're probably going to need to produce more content. That's what's going to win the streaming wars at the end of the day. And I wouldn't be surprised, like I said, if he makes other moves. Now, how he makes those moves is yet to be determined. But in time, we'll find out. And don't be surprised if uh, Wall Street continues to talk about Disney going forward, especially since now Bob Iger is back back in charge, pretty much. So... It'll be interesting to see how Disney goes going forward. Now onto the politics side of things. And this and China will affect Disney in some way, shape, or form. Okay. It says here, protesting against COVID controls erupt across China. From Beijing, CNBC. Rare protests broke out across China over the weekend as a group of people vented their frustration over the zero COVID policy. The unrest came as infections surged, prompting more local COVID controls, while a central government policy changed earlier this month had raised hopes for gradually easing. Nearly three years of controls have dragged down the economy. Youth unemployment has neared 20%. People's Daily, the Communist Party's official newspaper, ran a front-page op-ed Monday on the need to make COVID controls more targeted and effective while removing those that should be removed. In Beijing, many apartment communities successfully convinced local management they had no legal basis for a lockdown. That came after more and more compounds in the capital city on Friday and abruptly forbade the residents from leaving. On Sunday, municipal authorities said temporary controls on movements should not last more than 24 hours. Over the last three days, students staged protests at many universities, while people looked to the streets in parts of Beijing. And then a couple other cities that they name on here, which I cannot pronounce. This is according to the videos were widely shared on social media. The videos could not all be independently verified. Demonstrators initially started started on Friday after a building fire killed 10 people the prior day. 
In an area that had been locked down for months, the narrative on social media centered on how COVID controls prevented residents and rescue workers from saving lives. While it's not clear what exactly caused the deaths, local authorities subsequently declared the COVID risk and subsided and began relaxing controls. In Shanghai on Saturday, a vigil for the deaths turned into a protest against COVID in the ruling Communist Party of China. Some unverified videos also showed calls for President Xi to step down. Videos on social media showed police arresting some protesters. Many of the demonstrators have held up blank sheets of white paper. Some have sung the national anthem and the international, a social song associated with the founding of the Chinese Communist Party. Notable social media also showed protests at the prestigious uh, prestigious university. Uh, I think it's Tsinghua. I can't pronounce that university on Sunday. <clears throat> you know, I had this thought the other day especially after I saw the protests that were happening. And yeah, especially yesterday too, after we had finished recording our podcast and we saw that the China, the, I think it was like the Hong Kong stock market exchange was falling due to the protests that were happening in China. I believe if these protests continue in China, that you will see, at least in our day, a potential Tiananmen Square incident again in China. And honestly, okay. And the only reason I think that is you can only keep people locked up for so long before they just say enough's enough. Okay. And I'm interested to know how the market's going to take it when this happens. And honestly, the market currently is down right now because of these protests in China. Do I expect a crackdown to happen? Of course. I mean, it's, it's China. It's how the communist party works in China. I believe if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, but at the end of the day, it's going to be interesting to see how Wall Street handles it if there is another incident like Tiananmen Square, okay? Now, what I also find interesting too, okay, is with these lockdowns, in the past, we had talked about this a little bit, and you can listen to that past podcast on it, but Apple was looking to move some of its parts, uh, not parts shipments, but like building some of their components in India because of the zero COVID policy that China has been having. Because what's happening now is this, okay? It says, Apple shares slip on report iPhone production taking a big hit from unrest at China's China factory, okay? From CNBC, shares of, of Apple fell about 2% early trading Monday after Bloomberg reported the company could see a production shortfall of nearly 6 million iPhone Pro models because of unrest at Foxconn China factory. Bloomberg cited a source that Apple and Foxconn do expect to be able to make up the, that shortfall in 2023. Apple declined to comment on the report. The unrest at Foxconn comes amid protests against China's zero COVID policy. Cases of COVID-19 have surged in mainland China, prompting resident lockdowns and business closures in many major cities. Protests against the lockdowns have broken out across the country, including at a Foxconn iPhone assembly facility. Employees at Foxconn have protested food shortages issues related to payments and how the company has handled COVID-19 outbreaks. Reuters said last week that the workers smashed cameras and windows during some of the protests. Foxconn said last week that it will continue to communicate with employees and the government to prevent similar violent incidents from happening. It said it's also continuing to communicate with employees about payment concerns and that it will try its best to actively solve the concerns and reasonable demands of employees. Analysis are also concerned that they that about the recent manufacturing inter interruptions ahead of the holiday season. Counterpoint Research released guidance Monday saying that delivery times for iPhone 14 Pro and Pro Max are significantly delayed. Last week, customers also expected to wait 37 days for delivery, according to Counterpoint. The longest wait time since the model's launch. Apple regular iPhone 14 is still in stock. 
In a separate note on Monday, WebBush analysis Dan Ives predicted major iPhone shortages due to China's head-scratching zero COVID policy. Quote, we estimate that Apple now has significant iPhone shortages that could take off roughly about 5% of units in the quarter and potentially up to 10% depending on the next few weeks in China around Foxconn production and protests, Ives said in a note to investors. J.P. Morgan Chase was was more optimistic and a note published Sunday, but still expressed concerns over the slowdown in China. The ongoing challenges around delays and returning to normal level of production at the facility can limit the pace with which supply demand equilibrium can be reached in the coming months. But supply appears to have rebounded from the through levels the firm wrote. I don't know what's going to happen in the end of the day with China. Like I said, I have my theories, like I just mentioned a few minutes ago, but it's still extremely interesting to see how the zero COVID policy in China will affect the markets. Okay. There probably will be new supply chain issues coming from China, especially since we ship a lot of our stuff to China to get made there. Okay. And at the end of the day too, it just makes me wonder if companies need to start considering other places to start making their stuff. And honestly, India is what Apple's looking at towards right now. And obviously the chips bill has been signed in the United States where they're trying to start making chips within the United States so that we don't rely on Taiwan. Well, Taiwan doesn't have the restrictions obviously, but but China in particular is like the second largest hub of making chips, I believe it was. But it's gonna be extremely interesting to see how Apple goes going forward with this. But there will be new supply chain issues, which means you might see prices going up across the board. But the prices you should be worried about, okay? is what might come from the rail side of things currently right now, okay? And we'll get into what I'm going to be talking about in a second right now when I say this. It says here, tech companies begin rerouting critical chip supplies to trucks with rail strike looming, okay? From CNBC, technology companies supplying critical semiconductor chips to the economy have started shifting cargo shipments from railroads to trucks with a national freight rail strike looming. The moves are made... DHL Global Forward tells CNBC in an effort to avoid pre-strike rail preparations that would force freight rail companies to prioritize cargo. The tech cargo being sent to trucks, including semiconductor chips, critical to the high tech sector and auto industry. Quote, this is tech cargo originating out of California, said Gautiez, head of Ocean Freight of the Americans DHL Global Forwarding. He says that the, that there's more truck capacity than there has had been in a rail strike was first threatened in September as a result of fewer container ships overall coming into U.S. ports. Quote, there are more trucks and chassis, but there, but that does not mean there is enough trucks to move all the rail cargo onto trucks. According to federal safety measures, railroad carriers began preparing for a strike seven days before the strike date. The carriers start to prioritize this, the securing the movement of se- uh, security-sensitive materials like chlorine for drinking water and hazardous materials in the rail wind down. 96 hours before a strike date, chemicals are no longer transported. According to the American uh, Chemistry Council, railroad industry data shows a drop of 1,975 carloads of chemical shipments during the week of September 10th, when the railroad stopped accepting shipments due to the previous threat of a strike. The Associated American Railroads would be expected to release its planning steps similar to what was announced in September. According to... It says here, as a client cargo is not characterized as perishable or hazardous, it waits to be moved. On average, it takes about two to three days to clear up one of those backup. The September pre-strike container that were held up for approximately 48 hours took six days to clear. 
Delays incurred by rail strike would only add to the late charges shippers pay for railroads on Lake Cargo. DHL Global Forwarding has advised customers of the serious impact that the rail strike could have impact on their operations, including delays and related detention and demurrage, demurrage charges. You know, last time I'm going to say this just here, okay? Because they, they mentioned this. They say, uh, it says here, a rail strike could begin on December 9th, okay? December 9th is the date we need to pay attention to. If no agreement is reached between unions and rail companies, Congress can intervene using its power through the Constitution Commerce Clause to introduce legislation to stop a strike or a lockout and to set terms of the agreements between the unions and carriers, okay? Here's the thing. As I've mentioned in past podcasts, this might be a time to consider having rail companies become more automated. And honestly, okay, that's one solution to an issue in the making. It's not a very popular one, probably, but it's a solution, okay? Because at least if you can keep the rails moving and the supply chain moving, things can be okay. Now, does that mean less rail jobs? Potentially, but that could also mean more rail jobs too, right? If everything's becoming automated. What worries me is this currently right now. If oil stops being transported right now, I had a thought. I was like, how much is it going to cost if oil were to stop being shipped by, uh, by what was it, by rail? Because right now, like, there's not pipelines. I mean, Keystone Pipeline was shut down. I know it always goes back to Keystone, doesn't it? Okay. But what I found was this, Okay. According to Fraser Institute's website, okay, FraserInstitute.org, from an article from November 7th of 2018, they are saying on here, okay, on the economic side, it's crystal clear. It costs $5 to move a barrel of oil by pipeline. In fact, rail is two or three times more expensive than moving the same volume by pop pipeline. So you're looking at $10 or $15 for to move it by rail, oil, okay? And truck transport costs 20 per barrel. $20 per barrel, okay? That's kind of insane. Four times more expensive than pipelines the, for, for trucks, okay? This is what I'm trying to get at right now, okay? You know, if you've ever read John D. Rockefeller's autobiography, okay? Or just watch like, what was it? Like The Men Who Built America. It's hard to pinpoint what's exactly accurate in books and literature and on, and on uh, the History Channel, obviously. But in the History Channel, I remember this, okay? I remember John D. Rockefeller and the Men That Built America series. John D. Rockefeller was tired of getting screwed over by Vanderbilt. I think, I think it was Vanderbilt. I think he controlled the rails, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a while. But what I do remember was this from it. The guy who was controlling the rails was making a lot of money off transporting oil for John D. Rockefeller Standard Oil. And he got tired of it. And so what he did was he built a pipeline to go from where he was pumping the oil to the refinery that he was trying to get it to. And it saved him a lot of money in the long run. And it made John D. Rockefeller one of the richest men in America because he, John D. Rockefeller, according to his autobiography and also his, his on the History Channel as well, he was always looking for ways to use every, every way possible to make as much money as possible, okay? And he was trying to find a way to save money. And he did not want to keep paying. I think it was, like I said, I think it was Vanderbilt. He didn't want to pay Vanderbilt that money to ship it by rail. Because there was other options too. One was by boat, obviously, but the rail was the fastest at the time, I think it was. And he built a pipeline instead because he was just like, it's just not worth it. Let's just build a pipeline, okay? Our gas prices could potentially be going up. 
if this railroad strike happens. Now, obviously, Congress might step in and be able to help, but it would be extremely interesting to see what happens if a deal's not made. Because there's a high chance, in my opinion, I think gas prices will be going up. Especially if it has to be going by freight at this point. Not freight, I mean by truck to get to its destinations. It takes time to move this stuff. $20 a barrel and pipeline costs 5 and the rails cost 20 10 to $15. I mean, I get there's pros and cons to everything when it comes to transporting the oil. But at the end of the day... It's just extremely fascinating. There's going to be a lot of sectors infected when this rail strike happens. It also makes me wonder too, rail companies might be making a lot of money and pipelines might actually become more valuable too. Maybe pipelines will start making a lot of more money too because they'll have to figure out a way to ship the oil faster if the rails stop accepting oil, right? But trucking companies might be making a lot of money. This isn't financial advice, obviously, but it is something to think about. And it's also something to think about, too, when it comes to having those lovely discussions with friends or family going forward about pipelines, the rail industry, the trucking industry. Because I never knew that, that it cost that much money and what it costs for each one to ship oil until I read this article and had that thought. But it is something, it's an interesting fact to think about that the way, the way we move oil de- can almost determine our prices at the pump sometimes. There's other factors, too. But that is one one factor in particular. But like I said, I think oil prices are already go up at the pump if this real strike does happen. And if it does, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I think it will go up based off the fact of this potential real strike in the making. So I'll leave it there. With that being said, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you had, please like and subscribe to this podcast. Every like and subscription helps grow this podcast. So we'll be able to keep talking about events on Wall Street that Wall Street isn't or willing or have this, has the time to talk about. Please also continue to share this podcast with friends and family as it helps continue to grow this channel. To my fellow podcast listeners who have followed me on this journey so far, thank you so much for continuing support at this time and continuing to share with friends or family. We continue to grow. And the next goal of downloads we're trying to reach is 5,000. If we can get to 5,000 before the end of this year, that'd be a good way to start this this year of this podcast. So with that being said, thank you so much for listening to this podcast today. Thank you and goodbye.